Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, and uh, this is uh, Tuesday night. This is Yom Kippur, and uh, uh, Judge Weinberg is celebrating his holiday. And we have uh, a common-sense Democrat in the studio. We have my good friend Joe Ithia. And Joe was uh, chief of staff to Freddie Farrar uh, uh, when he was borough president. And what else, Joe? Governor Pataki. And Governor Pataki. Yeah. And you uh, and uh, you uh, worked uh, at Con Ed. At Con Ed. Fourteen years there. Fourteen years. Community affairs and government. And you first. ran economic development in the Bronx. That's correct. I was president of the Bronx Overall Economic Development Corporation too. Well, that's Joe Ithia, a common-sense Democrat, and we have uh, a common-sense Republican, Craig Eaton. Welcome, Craig. Good evening, John. And just, just to mention, too, Joe Ithia, when you ran for mayor in 2013, was shoulder-to-shoulder with us for a couple of years, traveling around New York City. Great I remember guy. that day a by great day. Guy. Mm-hmm. I always remember And a good friend, Joe. It's great to see you in the studio here with us it's this evening. my pleasure to be and here. Lydia, uh, tell us who's on now. Right now we have uh, Ryan Payne, and Ryan Payne is the president and chief investment officer of Payne Capital Management. He's also host of a WABC program every Saturday right after Larry Kudlow with Steve Moore. It's on from 1 to 2 p.m. So welcome back to Cats at Night, Ryan Payne. Ryan Payne, interesting days. I'll tell you what, it's a a more painless day, Uh, no pun intended. Usually I come on and the market sold off hundreds of points. So uh, I'll take what we can get here, John. Uh, understood. Now, uh, Elon Musk surrendered. Did he think he was going to lose? You know, by the way, for those of you uh, who don't know, Elon Musk has said, yes, I will buy uh, Twitter for $44 billion. Uh, the markets in the last two days have gone up almost, what, 1,600, 1,700 points, uh, Ryan? It's been a magnificent run uh, over the last two days. That's, that's about right. And, and the Saudis are threatening us. They have a lot of respect for the White House, I guess, the Saudis. Uh, they want to cut uh, a million barrels a day. So that may cause uh, oil to go up anywhere from 10 to $20 a barrel. And now the, uh, the latest news uh, about 10 minutes ago was, well, they may consider cutting a million and a half barrels a day. Tell us what you know, what you hear, and let's discuss. Well, I think first off, I mean, it's a little bit of a problem because I think the one catalyst here for the market is we've actually finally started to see inflation come down on the ground floor, right? I mean, we saw oil prices come down. John, you and I talk about it. You know, you were one of the first people to talk about oil coming down under 100. Uh, you know, we've been down as low as under $80 a barrel. And now we're down in the, we're back in the mid 80s. So I, I think it's really, really critical here that we either open up North America. We create supply somewhere because I don't think you can really rely on OPEC here. OPEC really likes $100 oil, um, and we know that's very inflationary, and that's very bad for the American consumer, and that's what we're trying to avoid here at all costs. I mean, it's that uh, when we we talked last Friday, uh, we talked about there was a struggle between the nations that wanted to get paid more for oil, which was Russia and OPEC nations. They They wanted $100 a barrel. And it looks like uh, they must have listened to us talking because uh, it's headed that way. You got to stop the Russians from listening to your show, John. That's the first rule. <laughs> and, well, we, we said that the KGB does listen to our show. I know. And it's a problem. It's a problem. And, it, and the question is, why can't the Biden administration 
help us build more supply here, right? Why can't we open up North America? You know, why can't we get American oil out there in the market to keep prices low, which we need to keep inflation low? We were down to $75 a barrel, and now kaput. Uh, yeah. Interest rates. Uh, does it look like uh, interest rates are are, uh, are, are going to stop going up? Or, or Give us your gut feeling. My gut feeling is I said the, the Fed has to blink with raising interest rates, and I think they will. Um, and I think we saw that globally you know, with Australia coming out, and their hike was less than expected. So I, I, I'm optimistic. I do think we may be at the upper end here uh, with interest rates. You know, you saw the 10 years down from a tie, two years down from a tie. So I just think the Fed here, look, you couldn't trust the Fed 12 months ago when they said they weren't even thinking about raising interest rates. Why should we trust them now that they're going to follow through on all their interest rate hikes? So my gut is they are going to have to blink here. And if they blink, you know, that's very good for the economy because inflation has come down on the ground floor and it's unnecessary to take this economy over the brink. And that's what the Fed is pretty much telling you that they've been tended to do. But I don't think they're going to follow through with it. Ryan, this is Craig Eaton. I'm an attorney here in New York and I do a lot of transactional work, commercial and residential closings. And when the rates hit 7% last week, it was like a full stop in the real estate market. It was Zillow. Looking at all these properties on Zillow, every one of them, prices were reduced because people are getting scared. That's exactly right. And now, to some fairness, right, that's what the Fed intended to do. They wanted to slow off an economy that's just been overheated. But you're, to your point, you get, a, you get mortgage rates up to 7%, and it takes it to a screeching halt. And we know. We know the real estate market's a huge part of our economy, a huge part of our GDP. So I, I think they have to soften. Interest rates have to come down here a little bit um, to get those markets back going again. Because if they don't and it stays to a halt, then we're definitely going to go into recession, right? And that's what well, we're Beyond that, they're going to destroy the construction part of the real estate industry, the, the, the construction of larger buildings, the construction of new homes. Uh, people won't buy or sell homes. If you, Why would you sell your home when you have a 3% mortgage? Yeah. To buy a new home and get a 7% mortgage. I mean, but, it doesn't make any sense. But, John, also also all the industries that get affected. You have lawyers. You have title insurance companies. You have home inspectors. You have termite inspectors. You have mortgage brokers. That's right. There are so many industries and people in those industries that rely on the income that they derive from a residential or commercial transaction. And you're shutting all of these people out. I mean, it's scary. There's got to be other ways to tame inflation than destroying the country. You know, Craig, and a good point there is lumber costs have already come back to where they were pre-pandemic, right? So a lot of the damage or the, the inflation that they're trying to, to bring in, it, it's already been done, right? So at this point, there's no reason the Fed shouldn't take their foot off the brake. I mean, it's you, we've already seen costs come down. Or energy prices are still down significantly from where they were. And we know that almost every part of manufacturing is touched by, you know, what happens with oil, oil prices. So I, I think to your point here, right, it's like at this point, We've already had the inflation readjustment, right? It's not showing up in the numbers yet, but it's going to over the next couple of months. Hence, again, the Fed's really, really got to back off here. And, Ryan, more people than ever now, Americans, it used to be about 38% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck. Now it's 45%. People just can't 
afford just daily things anymore. I read some article that some Americans are now skipping a major meal a day. It's they sad. can't it's afford. It's very sad. Look at milk. Look how much yes. milk is. I'm seeing a major meal a day, but I... I'm doing that for other reasons. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. But and you've got people that. That's intermittent fasting. That's different. Yeah, and you've got people yeah. that are retired going back into the job market. And it, I mean, do we see this kind of easing? And, and yet the Democrats want to tout like just how great the economy is. Yeah, you can't say it's great when you have 8% inflation and wages are only going up by 5%, right? That math doesn't work. That's called negative wage growth. <laughs> and that's not how you have built a strong economy. Now, you know, the optimist in me, and I like to, to leave it on an optimistic note, is inflation is, in fact, coming down. The labor market is still one of the strongest we've ever seen in history. You know, for every two jobs, there's only one person looking. So I do think wage growth is going to stay strong. And I do think if inflation does come down, though it hasn't coming down, you know, we're going to be in a position where we may even avoid a real severe recession. I think it's realistic. But again, it all comes back to the Fed and the Fed here not being as aggressive as they're talking. Now, one thing, there was somebody on television before. I think I was uh, I forget who I was watching. And he says with Elon Musk and on Twitter, because I, I can't something in my stomach says not everything is as it we think it is. And. Uh, and he said that uh, uh, Elon Musk um, is playing chess while all the rest of us are playing checkers. John, can I just answer that for a second? Because the trial Please. is two weeks away. So one of the things that Elon Musk's attorneys were saying is we will only buy if you drop your lawsuit. So I think it was a, a somewhat of a negotiation where – he felt like if he went to trial, he would lose. And there's a lot of million dollars, a lot of millions of dollars no, at wait, stake. Wait, wait. A lot of billions. Billions of dollars yeah, at stake. You're no, I'm saying, saying in the, in the lawsuit. Mean, you're, 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 you're in the last century. Yeah. No, but I'm saying in the lawsuit. They were suing him for how many, how many, was I it millions know. or billions? But I think that he was afraid that if he lost the trial, he would lose a lot of money. So he agreed to settle. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. It sounded like he's more forced into buying. Yeah. Um, you know, than anything else. And buying it at $44 billion was better than the lawsuit uh, that he was going to have to contend with. So, But on the other hand, you know, I don't, I don't mind having Elon Musk running Twitter. I mean, I think I'd rather have Elon right. Musk yeah. uh, running Twitter than the, those bozos. And I will say the word again. I don't call people names, but the people at Twitter are a bunch of bozos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except for the people on Twitter. Yeah. But I agree. Well, maybe I agree. the guys I mean, at Facebook Elon, yeah. are getting coming close to it, too. <laughs> But I think in this this you know culture we have right now, um, where you can't say anything in the censorship. I mean, you need you need an Elon Musk, right? You need somebody to counter that. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Somebody that has right the there. courage to say what's right. That's what it comes. And, and he's going to let Trump back on Twitter, so he's got the courage to do that. Does that mean Trump stock goes to zero? <laughs> but Trump said he doesn't want to get back on Twitter. We'll see. He yeah, will eventually. He will. Yep. <laughs> There's too many people on Twitter for him to say no. Let's be honest. Well, thank you so much, Ryan Payne. Again, your show every Saturday, 1 to 2 p.m. with Steve Moore right after Larry Kudlow. If you want to know what's going on economy-wise in the markets, listen to WABC every Saturday morning into the afternoon. Thank you so much, Ryan Payne, and that's Payne with a Y. Thank you so much. How about no right. pain, Thanks, no gain? your life. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. I like that. That's right. Without pain, you're not going to have any gain. Yeah, that's a good one, Thank too. Thank you so much. And now on the line for us, we have a Mike Gonzalez. He's a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Washington, D.C. Spent close to 20 years as a journalist, 15 of them writing all across the world. He 
uh, left journalism to join the Bush administration as a speech writer. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Mike Gonzalez. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you. You know, I just want to add to the last conversation you guys were having. It's always an honor to be on with you, by the way, that I think Elon Musk owning uh, Twitter is a fantastic thing for freedom of speech. I don't know if you saw today, but the American Medical Association wrote a letter asking big tech and the, and the Justice Department to stop criticism of hospitals that engage in, 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 the, in the amputation and castration of young children uh, to do same, uh, say, uh, uh, same operations. So they don't want to be criticized. They're asking big tech and the DOJ to step in. I think with, with Twitter being owned at, uh, by Elon Musk, that's, that would be less of a risk. So I, I think it would be a fantastic thing. Um, I don't know if you know, but I'm in, I'm in Warsaw. I'm speaking to you from a hotel in Warsaw today, uh, and uh, I attended a conference. In fact, last week I was in Estonia, and I tell you, it's, uh, it's tense in the U.S., but here in a frontline state, in a country right here facing Russia, the tensions are really, really strong. You can really feel it in Estonia and here. Wow. And going back to the whole transgender kids issue, California has now become the first sanctuary state for trans youth. So kids can go there, get the operations, get the puberty blockers, and the state will temporarily take jurisdiction over your child. So they'll assume the parental rights of your child if your kid wants to get, you know, their parts amputated, take these puberty blockers. Uh, it's really frightening what's going on in America. Now, somebody, a child that's 15, 14 years old could go to California yeah. mm-hmm. and, and have these things imagine? performed? Yes, without their parents' yes. consents. And then the yes. state of California assumes parental. Have they lost uh, their minds completely? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think so. But any, any parent in any of the other 49 states should be saying to themselves, what? What, what, do you, what are you going to do, Gavin Newsom? What are you going to do to my child? You're going to take custody of my child? Uh, this is this is outrageous, by the way. I don't I don't I don't know how California can do this. It's just, they, they say they're going to do it. I, I don't think they can. This Some, is his platform for president because people are throwing his name out there. He's people are throwing his name out yeah. there, and this is this is crazy. The fabric of our society oh, is just I getting mean, taken apart. Is, I, you know, I was a Democrat with Bill Clinton. Where is the Democratic Party going? Joe, you were there with me. Yes. I mean, have they lost their mind I completely? think they've lost their mind. Uh, uh, they've uh, lost uh, their uh, way. Go it, ahead. The avenue. They've gone the wrong avenue. Have, are they saying that whoever is crazier, people are going to vote for it? The crazier you are? Well, this are? is probably the craziest I've ever Remember, heard. Remember, Gavin was uh, mayor of San Francisco first. Right. So, And he lost his wife. <laughs> Well, I, so today, so, his wife. so today That's we right. celebrated um, National H- Hispanic Day here at WABC Radio. John, I don't know if you know that President Biden says he's now Puerto Rican. Did you hear about this? <laughs> well, let's hear him. Let's hear him say it. I uh, was sort of raised uh, in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. <laughs> raised so we, in the we came here for a long time, in uh, both in for Delaware. business and pleasure. Okay, so he Mike, said this, Lydia, he said lunacy. this while he was in Puerto Rico yesterday yeah. in front of the governor of Puerto Rico. <laughs> he came out with this statement about 
I grew up with the Puerto Ricans in Delaware. I'm I'm part Puerto Rican. What are you talking about? There's a huge Puerto Rican community in Delaware. Not. Uh, Mike <laughs> Gonzalez, what do you think about the Democratic Party? Not all of them, obviously, but they tend to use race to emotionally uh, manipulate, I feel like, their constituents. And they want to use like those terms like Latinx. And I, I call me I've been hearing that you guys are you guys are offended by it. Tell tell us what you think. Well, I think I've seen uh, Biden at a couple of bogadas uh, to use uh, how how bogadas. <laughs> That's what Dr. Jill said, right? Dr. Jill. But what did she say again? Bogatas, 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 bogatas. And then she was saying that about t- tacos. Yeah, yeah, your old tacos. What we can, what what we cannot forget here is a Biden's reality spectrum is very elastic, right? Remember, in 1987, he borrowed a complete speech from Neil Kinnock. A, a Welsh politician, in which he said, I think something to the that he 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 remember his 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 parents, his grandparents, rising out of the mines to play soccer. Obviously, that did not happen in Scranton. And when when he was caught, this is 1987, he had to leave the campaign because he was just borrowing somebody else's experience. So in 1987, he was Welsh. Today, he's Puerto Rican. I, I just don't really. I think he's being very consistent. John, what do you think about the fact that he talk, Joe Biden says, oh, I drove a Mack truck. Um, my house almost burnt down my, with my wife no, in it. He makes up I these know, stories. I it's know weird. Joe Biden for 40 years. Yeah, I know. You do, yeah. The same way as Senator D'Amato knows him for 40 years. And he's in the last two, three years, four years, he hasn't been the same. And I don't want to criticize him. He's still the president of the United States. And um, I pray for his health. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting I, it. I pray for his sanity because, I mean, it's crazy what's going on. I here. pray for his health. Otherwise, you got Kamala Harris. Yeah. Mike Gonzalez, we're running out of time. What else do you want to tell the American people that we should know? I I, I, I actually said to a, a – I had made a speech in Miami in January, and I said exactly that. I said that me and my family prayed for the president. If my fellow Cuban-Americans began to heckle me, somebody – this is a super tough crowd. I just said I pray for the president. You guys are heckling me? So I agree with you, John. I think we should all pray for him. I do. We should. I mean, look, he's uh, he's getting old, and um, he's not the same Joe Biden I knew. Yeah. But- my, my first – actually, my first column, my first opinion column for the Dallas Morning News was on that Neil Kinnock speech. Well, that Neil Kinnock speech that he borrowed – in 1987. So I've been following him and writing about him now for 33 years. You're right about that. Well, thank you so much, Mike Gonzalez. And where can we find a lot of your work that you write? The Heritage Foundation? Yeah, my last book was from Black Lives Matter, BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. It's selling well because of all the things that are happening with BLM. It's on the organizations. I think they're Marxist outfits. So it's called BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So now, John, what are we doing? We're going to break. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back with Fernando Mateo. Fernando Mateo. Keep it right here. Cats at night. It's cats at night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. We've got a great show ahead for everyone tonight. We'll also be speaking with Gail Smith. She's the CEO of Impacto Latino Newspaper, Diana Reyna. And so keep it right here. And now on the line for us, we have Fernando Mateo. Welcome back to uh, Cats at Night. Of course, Fernando Mateo is a Dominican-American businessman, activist. He was also a former 
a mayoral candidate, right, Republican candidate. Now, the crime here in New York City is getting out of control. I mean, we saw the group of female robbers wearing neon leotards. On the, We're seeing uh, b- bodegas getting ransacked, attacked. It's like never ending people getting kicked in the face. You saw that woman. She might lose her eye. Fernando Mateo, what can we do to take our city back from the criminals? Well, first thing I want to do is thank uh, thank you guys. Thank John. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be on WABC Radio uh, because when you get on this on this radio station, you can speak the truth and be heard by people that have common sense. Common sense is a commodity. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's very rare. So it's nice to be on a common sense radio station. Well, Fernando, uh, we did. Was- I just want to tell the audience because we got a million people listening. It could be as much as a million right now. Uh, unless the, uh, the, our Jewish friends are in synagogue, uh, that we uh, did a roundtable discussion, two 15-minute roundtable discussions, and they'll be on the WABC website to discuss uh, like, uh, uh, Hispanic Heritage uh, Day and, uh, uh, and uh, what we should look out for and what the problems are. And, and uh, Joe, how else would you say it? Oh, I think... Everyone had a say. Fernando, you were, uh, uh, you spoke out. Fernando, you've been involved with the bodegueros, uh, los taxistas, uh, la comunidad dominicana. I've known Fernando, oh, gee, for years and years, and he's always been active. Uh, I know his wife now is running a great restaurant up in the borough of the Bronx at a federal building. You haven't seen that in, gee, ever. So, Fernando, give us your uh, whole take on where are we all heading? Well, listen, we have a newly elected mayor. Um, I believe that the eight years de Blasio was there, he really destroyed the city. And his quarrels with uh, Governor Cuomo didn't help us at all. Uh, I believe it was time to have a Republican elected to office, both at the governor, uh, the governor's uh, level as well as the, the city. That didn't happen. So, listen, we have a Mayor Eric Adams there. Uh, he was a Republican early on. Uh, he, he wants to do the best that he can for the city. And what we can do is basically support him, you know, give him some good ideas. He, he, he listens when you speak to him. And I believe that, you know, he's going to do the best that he can. But, you know, we need to take um, these criminals and put them behind bars. The district attorneys need to get together with the mayor, discuss a plan like Giuliani had with when he was mayor, discuss a plan that's going to put these people away and not be free, you know, with this whole bail reform nonsense, because that is that, that it's total nonsense. Fernando, Let's this is this is Craig Eaton. And you know what? I'm, I'm, first, I want to I want to congratulate you. I mean, you are the champion and the voice of small business owners throughout the city and state of New York. And without them, they wouldn't have a voice. But but just to touch on what you just said about Eric Adams, it really isn't Eric and the district attorneys because the district attorney's hands are tied as well. It's the state Senate and the state assembly need to change the bail reform, the discovery laws, and all the other laws that they put in place a few years ago. It's up to them to do it. But but Eric needs to, and I'm a good friend of Eric Adams, and and I always give him a pass because I say he's only been in office for less than a year and everybody, you know, a month out was like, why aren't you doing anything? But he needs to stand up against the progressives. He needs to push back, and he needs to be pushing Albany before we can go to the district attorneys. 
Well, you know, I, I agree with, with what you're saying, but unless you get the power players to the table calling out uh, the Senate and, and the, uh, the, the government in Albany, uh, you know, unless they do that and they call them out, nothing is going to happen. You know, the mayor of New York City has more power in my, in my, as far as I'm concerned, than the governor of the state of New York. You know, the mayor of New York City has a lot of power. This is the capital of the world. But, but you know Giuliani, what, you know, you know who the power players when are? 9-11 hit, yeah. When 9-11 came, Giuliani told Pataki, hey, step aside. This is my city. You know, I believe that Eric will do the same thing as he gets more comfortable I, I in, his, so. in his shoes. But, but you know what, yeah. Fernando? You talk about power players. You know who the power players are between now and Election Day? The voters of the state of New York. Those are the power players. Each and every one of the voters needs to look around the streets and see what's out there, see what's happening, and say, have you had enough yet? They need to say, we have had enough, we're going to stand up, we're going to vote Republican, or we're going to vote for different Democratic candidates that are not so progressive, and that's how we'll turn this state around. You know, what What I don't understand is that this shouldn't be about politics. This should be about, you know, everyone not wanting crime, people, you know, protesting against the criminals. It's the people. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. The people that are being victimized, the people that are the victims and the criminals, most of them are all Democrats. They live in Democratic communities. Fernando, we have to take a break. Would you stay on for two minutes while we come back? Absolutely. Okay, Fernando Mateo is going to stay on for two minutes. Let's go to that break because we've got Lou Dobbs calling in. He wanted to give us a report. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. On the line with us still, we have Fernando Mateo. Also in studio, we have Craig Eaton, of course, John Katz Matidis, and Joy- Joe Ithier. I wanted to bring up a topic to you, Fernando Mateo, the news that broke last night that that migrant tent city in Orchard Beach is now being moved to Randall's Island due to storm concerns, also a lack of public transportation Everything we've been saying, they were going to put about a thousand asylum seekers there. Your reaction to that news? Well, listen, it's good that they'll be at Randall's Island. I think it's a safer place for them to be. Uh, I think that the advice uh, the mayor got of taking them to Orchard Beach uh, was the wrong advice. But listen, as I said before, you live and you learn. Uh, You make mistakes. You pick up the ball and you run. Uh, and that's what Eric is trying to do right now. There's no, you know, listen, mistakes are made. We're all human. Uh, you can call it whatever you want to call it. But I, I believe that he he's fixing what's wrong. The, the hardest thing to do when you make a mistake is admit you've made a mistake. He's admitting it and he's taking it to Randall's Island where it will be a lot easier and better to uh, to, to maintain uh, these tents and these immigrants that are here. Uh, and Fernando, this is Joe with you. Listen, one of the uh, big issues was also the community was not brought into play. The elected officials, uh, uh, John Graney and Mike Rendino and the Bronx uh, GOP got all the community organizations together from City Island, uh, Allerton, uh, everyone, and had a press conference yesterday at 10 o'clock, uh, and all the media was there and said, hey, look at this. And I told them, I, I advised them uh, to sh- tell the media, show them the flooding uh, that's there in the parking lot that's been there for years, but anytime it rains. Uh, it was also 
a show of the rain that occurred all weekend long that the media was able to say, hey, that water uh, is is just saturated there. That's an area also that uh, you know and I know that the Latino community uses all year round because they're there during the summer and the fall uh, to do their domino playing and they're uh, uh, hanging out and, and enjoying uh, the uh, the beach there. No one talked to anyone. And uh, they came in, started building out. And by the way, it's the same organization that was uh, building the uh, wall uh, in the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all this money is gone to waste because they started uh, putting the nails into the ground. And now let's move it out. So it was a big mistake. And they got to uh, take it upon themselves and say, hey, we did this wrong. But how long before people on Randall's Island are upset? And then they're going to say, let's put a Norwegian cruise line in Staten Island. Let's put them in Central Park because this is not sustainable. I think Vito uh, Fasella in uh, Staten Island is going to have World War III. I mean, I don't think he wants that. We have got 16,000 migrants. And Mayor Adams said, you know what? I blame the far left and the far right. But he's not blaming the person responsible, President Biden. Joe Ithier, why, why can't everybody just say what the real problem is? We need to close the border. Like, what is so hard with saying that? We it, need, It's we, an we issue need. that continues on and on and on. And as John says over and over, common sense, it's not in play here. That's the problem you, you know that we're I, having. Yeah, Fernando. You know, what I don't understand is when you go to Colombia or Mexico, Ecuador, any of these Latin American countries, and you cross their borders, they throw you out, you know. But... <laughs> It seems like crossing the American border is the end thing. It's like, hey, we can cross it now. Let's go in there. Let's do whatever we want. They'll give us a new phone. They'll give us this. They'll give us that. Uh, they give us $15,000. Who was giving you 15000 Somebody was giving Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah. But, but Biden's not going to close the border because the election's coming up. So he's not going to do anything that's going to hurt the Democratic Party. It's a hot-button issue, and they're afraid yeah, of but, it. But, but how, do you, how do these immigrants help them? They can't vote. You know, people that are here don't really want them here. Democrats, as Republicans, don't want an influx of illegal immigrants coming into this country. So, I mean, what are they defending? What What are they afraid of? What votes are they going to lose? Well, but they try I mean, to get them. They try to get them to vote. Sense. They tried to get them to allow allow them to vote. Not that long ago, they yeah, tried to change that law. Vote. I know. I know. They're not. They're not going to vote. They're not U.S. citizens. It's not going to happen. And, so and by the way, the Fernando, what, one of the issues that uh, you hear out there and you hear it from uh, the folks that are being bussed into New York, they're afraid to hang out here in New York. They 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 read and they hear about what's going on on the subways and stuff. And, and now you get off a bus in Times Square, wherever, and they're like, where do we go now? And if they were suffering back in their country, they're being brought here, and all they hear about is the high crime rate. And you know for a fact, just yesterday, uh, was it Brooklyn, where in a bodega there was a, a stabbing, a shooting or whatever? I mean, you're on top of 
uh, what's been happening with the bodegueros, that's a big, big issue. And if you can't get your seniors to walk over to a bodega to get their Goya beans or, or rice or anything because they're afraid somebody's going to stab you or shoot you, we've got a serious issue. I have a friend who's an Amazon delivery guy. He said his, a lot of elderly customers are afraid to even go downstairs to like get their packages and they ask him, Hey, can you help walk me? I'm afraid to walk outside because the police that were stationed there are no longer there. I mean, Fernando Mateo, a lot of these Democrat policies, they claim they want to help the people of color. Those policies are actually hurting the people they claim to be helping the most. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I believe that the people that are committing these crimes are committing them uh, in their own community. They're hurting. Hey, listen, the big, the big victims here and the, and the criminals, most of the time are people of color. Yes. Uh, they're either black or they're Hispanic, and we're hurting our own. Yeah. And yeah. we can't That's be afraid right. to acknowledge that and say That's the right. truth. But it's the you illegal know, guns. It, 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 it's the illegal it, guns it's on the, the street. Gun. That's what agree? Kathy Hochul said, Fernando? the ghost gun. Do you agree? Yeah, the illegal guns. Hey, listen, I'm happy that the, that the Supreme Court passed the ruling where everyone, uh, any law-abiding citizen should have the right to, to bear arms. You know, you go to Florida. There's no crime in Florida is almost non-existent. People don't mess with people because you don't know who's got a gun and who doesn't. What, what did, the, so what did DeSantis say to the looters? He says, stand your ground. If you come and you loot someone, shoot them. You know what? New York City needs a, a stand your ground law. And I believe it's a law that only people with common sense would agree with me. You know what you they know, need to? If, if you're a business owner, you don't want people coming into your business and, and robbing you. Can you imagine a bunch of looters going into a graffiti's and, and, and take, doing whatever I they want to do? I have my Rocky Calavito back. <laughs> Stop, question, and go. frisk. Three words. That's what we need. Stop, question, and frisk. That will take the illegal guns yeah. off the street. Well, um, Fernando. I, I pray that Mayor, I pray, I pray that Mayor, Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams is going to do the right thing. I pray for him, New too. York. I pray yeah, you got to talk to him, Fernando. You got to talk. You have a big following of business people, bodegueros, taxistas, all the things that you yeah. are involved in. They have to hear you. You know what happens is a lot of a lot of times they have so many advisors uh, that are in the bubble that it's hard for them to listen to go, anyone. Go that's directly of to the him. Bubble. Go directly to him. You have his text number. Yeah, and we'll have I his have back. His, I have his number. I have his number, and I speak to him all the time. Thank you. And I know that he's going to do the right thing. Thank you very much, uh, Fernando. Happy uh, Hispanic Heritage Day that we celebrated today. And and now we're going to go to... And uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank and you. making John an a honorary bodeguero. <laughs> That's right. John Katsimatidis is an, honor, is an honorary bodeguero as of today. What is that? Can That's you explain? a bodega owner. Oh, bodega. okay, okay, okay. So and, and, oh, and, and That's let's put, put on a good friend of Joe Ithia's. Uh, bring back uh, Gail. Gail Smith. She's yeah. the CEO of Impact. Our... Gail, it's Joe Ithia. It's so good to hear you. Oh, my goodness. It's so great to hear and, you as well. And, and thank you. everybody. Thank you for uh, sending your person uh, to our event earlier today. And she was covering uh, everyone. So hopefully we'll get a nice story out of it. And, Gail, I Absolutely. hear you're out in... Uh, is it Arizona? 
Yes, I'm attending the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And what's uh, what's conference. the issue? What's going on? Give us a little uh, tidbit of what the rest so, of America is feeling out yeah. there. So this is a celebration. Uh, the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce is the largest business uh, uh business uh, uh, organization in the United States, and they have their yearly conference uh, to coincide with, uh, you know, celebrating uh, Hispanic uh, Month. So uh, it's here in Phoenix. They choose a different state every year, and this it's in Phoenix this year. And we get a lot of speakers, um, a lot of information. It also promotes business, as as you will know, uh, Latinos are highly entrepreneurial, so um, there's a, a mix of corporations and business owners, small business owners that come in to try to see how, uh, you know, how maybe some magic can happen between them and, um, you know, in, in, in business. So there's a lot of uh, meetings going on, et cetera, apart from the speakers and, and the networking. So it's a big networking uh, um, uh, opportunity. So that's that's basically what's happened. It's two days. It, it started Sunday. Uh, today's the last day. There's a gala this evening, and then we're all flying home tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Gail, uh, we all know each other a long time. This is John Katzmatidis. Yep. And give us the the, the Hispanic uh, Latino um, Chamber of Commerce people. They're all business people. Give us the pulse of the situation of what's going on in America, the crime, the border situation. But give us your pulse on it. Right, right. Well, you know, I'd like to stay on the positive side. I think, you know what, uh, let's talk about the contributions of Latinos to American society. Um, there's uh, Latinos have an economic output of $2.8 trillion. So, you know, that is like the fifth largest GDP in the world. I mean, the, what the output of Latinos in the U.S. is bigger than, than England. And, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's tremendous. Um, 300, over $300 billion in taxes. Uh, major contributors to uh, key industries in, in, you know, in the U.S., such as agriculture, hospitality, et cetera. One important thing is that um, the flow of immigrants has really peaked, and the growth of Latinos is not immigrants coming into the United States. It's U.S.-born Latinos, and therefore, that has a lot of implications. Um, it means that, they're well, uh, that Latinos today are uh, way more educated than the previous cohort of Latinos that came in. So the contributions are going to be greater. You see, and you see it, for example, in this conference today, is um, uh, many high-level executives, uh, Latino executives, that are, you know, pushing through to the C-suite. And so it's no longer Latinos just picking uh, produce, which still happens. You know, it, it, it's still certainly, you know, uh, we eat vegetables because of Latinos, but now they're just breaking into a, a myriad of uh, industries. So, you know, highly educated and, and going up slowly into the corporate ranks. 
So that creates a different perspective and a different contribution. Um, you have media moguls, you have um, uh, very wealthy people who have made niches in, in, in different uh, industries. So um, it, it, it's a different perspective of the Latino. It's changing from this immigrant focus. So, you know, and, and I think that's the message that, that I, that I want to portray. Um, the other thing that's important is Latinos are an important voting bloc. And um, because now they're U.S.-born citizens, the majority of the growth is, uh, is uh, U.S. citizens, that becomes an important uh, voting block. There's an estimation of uh, close to 30 million Latinos eligible to vote. And in the past, they've had low voting rates. But I, as time goes by and Latinos understand the importance of voting, uh, those rates are going up. And uh, they are uh, Latino votes are making decisive uh, 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 elections. I mean, look at what happened in Nevada and California, Texas, New Mexico. These are all heavily Latino uh, populated states and uh, with very large Latino voting blocks. And um, also Latinos are moving in non-traditional states. So you have a lot of growth in, in places like uh, North Carolina and, you know, the Midwest, et cetera. So they're slowly populating and, and embedding themselves into American society and with, you know, tremendous economic power and, 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 off, and you know, opportunities, you know, providing a lot of opportunities. So, you know, that's, that's, there's still obviously an issue with crime. I think, you know, if we look at what's important to, to Latinos from a voting perspective, the economy is at the top of the list. I mean, that is the top. Who doesn't care about the economy? Well, Latinos care about the economy, healthcare, education, and of course, crime, um, uh, gun, gun laws and all of that is part of the of the package of what's of interest to Latinos. But the economy is at the top for sure. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. Give us and, to uh, perspective of the uh, United States at the Chamber of Commerce in Arizona. You gave us a good uh, overview of what's going on. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate um, John, you're, you're always support of the Latino community, always doing things for the Latino community, and you're celebrating the Latino community. Uh, you know, I want to thank you on behalf of, you know, all of us, uh, you know, for everything you do. Well, thank you, and uh, God bless you, and travel safe. Thank you so much. Same to, to all of you. And we're going to take a break right now. Who are we coming back with? Diana Reyna, and you know her well, Craigie, incorrect? Yes, yes. Tell okay. us about it. Uh, she was city council, former city councilwoman, and she was a candidate for lieutenant governor under Tom Swazi. And, you and said, she's she going to talk common sense. Yeah, and she was, was a deputy deputy borough president, president under Eric Adams in Brooklyn. Take yeah. the break. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Before we get to our next guest, Diana Reyna, we just want to remind our viewers, join 77 WABC and Ramsey Maza as we honor law enforcement officers across the nation on Friday, October 28th, with special guests and commentary. 77 WABC and Ramsey Maza, back the blue. Again, that's Friday, October 28th. But on Monday, 
Day, we'll be celebrating Columbus Day, where we will be along the parade route. Right, John? We will be along the parade route. We are going to be broadcasting uh, along with Curtis live. And, uh, you know, we're going to make sure the Columbus statue doesn't go down. Right. So we're still allowed to call it Columbus Day, right? It's not it's anything Columbus else. Day. Columbus Day, Monday, we'll be celebrating it. So keep it right here where we honor all different heritages here at WABC. Now on the line for us, Diana Reyna. So Craig, you didn't do the wonderful introduction. You know Diana well. Diana, form, she was a candidate for lieutenant governor of the Tom Swasey, former city councilwoman and former deputy bar president in my home borough of Brooklyn. Diana, welcome to the show. Having me. So, Diana, what are you doing right now? I actually own my own small business. I consult uh, with a group of different clients ranging in different industries. Um, I enjoy the work I do. Uh, I have the flexibility outside of politics, having dedicated 22 years in government uh, to my community. I was born and raised in Williamsburg. Um, represented Williamsburg, Bushwick, and Ridgewood, Queens. Um, years of uh, pushing through what would be difficult matters. Um, but today I have the opportunity to be able to transfer those skills into the private sector. And you know how difficult navigating government can be. I chaired the City Council Small Business Committee, and I understand uh, the challenges that small businesses have to go through uh, in order to conduct business. Uh, with government uh, and uh, following what would be the standards, rules, and regulations of government. But, but you know what, Diana? I mean, you, you, you're pretty humble. I mean, I, I was talking to Mike Danza today, and he said that you started the One Brooklyn Engineering Pipeline and also the STEM programs at Kingsborough. Can you tell us a little about it, a little about those two? Well, I appreciate that you've done so much more than just a little bit of homework. Um, I've always had what would be an avid love for manufacturing industrial jobs. My mother was a seamstress in the factories of Brooklyn and uh, Manhattan, and she came here in the 60s uh, from the Dominican Republic. And to be able to see her uh, in her craft become such um, an, an extraordinary seamstress, having to leave that industry because of the decline in manufacturing industrial um, I focused what would be on making sure that uh, we were saving these types of spaces that allowed for the creativity and innovation of 21st century manufacturing. When we think about manufacturing and industrial spaces, we go back in time as opposed to having the foresight to see in the, into the future. Um, the opportunities to be able to raise the level of education from a very early onset um, making sure that the standards of our education are in line with uh, what we need uh, here in the city of New York. And in my experience, I've seen what is a need for uh, hydraulic engineers, but we're not necessarily graduating hydraulic engineers. Where are they? We have to wow. you know, import that talent. And so if we're not teaching and exposing those careers through these steam pipelines, to be able to understand what it takes, what courses to take, what curriculum we have to have in place. Uh, we're not pushing the envelope enough in our classrooms. Wow. Wow. Thank, thank you. I mean, thank you for helping these young adults with their education. Are you still in Brooklyn, by the way? I am in Bushwick. Uh, I've been in Brooklyn. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I'm never going to leave Brooklyn. I was the chairman of Community Board 10 back in early 2000. And we had the opportunity to work with city council and the borough president's office. And 
Thank you for all you do for Brooklyn. What is your what is your uh, estimation of the future of Brooklyn? Well, that's a very good question. I think we all ponder that, right? Um, John has done such a great job talking about uh, the crime that's you know constantly on the rise. Um, we had a rebound for so many years, and you know uh, as well as I do that it took a very long time to see what is the Brooklyn uh, that we all wanted to uh, develop, right? Uh, whether bad, good, or indifferent, we saw progress. And we don't want to see that decline in such few years, in less than a decade. Uh, we've seen what is uh, a turning of the tide, um, the opportunities to be able to continue to address the disparities without destroying communities. Thank it's you. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, Thank Diana Reyna. Thank We're you so much. Time. And I want to say uh, for our, uh, all our Jewish friends, a uh, Yom Kippur to say uh, to our Jewish people, have an easy fast. Is that the right uh, Right, and this is a, a yeah. very important day of atonement for our Jewish friends, so we wish them all an easy fast. An easy fast, and uh, and uh, the other thing, too, I'll be here, here tomorrow morning. I'm going to be here taking, uh, Sid is going to be in synagogue, Sid Rosenberg, and uh, I'll be here 6 o'clock in the morning. With, Aren't you uh, part Jewish? With uh, 6%. <laughs> uh, I'll get a forgiveness. <laughs> okay. uh, and along with uh, Peter King, and uh, the show will be called The King and I for the day. There you <laughs> go. King and I. There you really go. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.